How do you balance being a physician and a mom in medicine? What are some of the unique issues that female physicians face in the workforce? How does mindset play a role? Learn the answers to these questions and many more on this episode of the Talk To Me Doc podcast. Welcome to the Talk To Me Doc podcast, where it's all about serving the early career physician. Let's talk about the unique issues that face us so we can create a better future for ourselves and those to come. And now your host, Dr. Andrew Tisser. Hey guys, it's Andrew. Welcome back to the Talk To Me Doc podcast. I'm so happy you're here. For my returning listeners, thank you for your continued support. For my new listeners, welcome, because today, like on every episode, I'm bringing you the best guests from all around healthcare and beyond to discuss issues relating to the early career physician. Today, I have a guest that is very special to many of you, Dr. Hala Sabri. Dr. Hala Sabri is a board-certified emergency physician, the founder of Physician Mom Groups, and a super mom of five with two sets of twins. Being a mother of five has given Hala a unique expertise and skill set to help other parents in the medical field. After years of infertility, she found that balancing motherhood and a career in medicine was challenging. She frequently fought through her fear, negative self-talk, and a recurring desire to quit her job in medicine, and she knew other mothers and physicians must have experienced the same struggles. She attributes having a solid support system, physician mom group, and life coaching in helping her manage her thoughts and reaffirm her why. She created Physician Mom Group six years ago to offer emotional availability and support to women like her. Although it has become the largest online support network for women physician mothers with over 115,000 members, Hala is expanding her purpose and outreach to coaching individuals and businesses. She offers high-performance coaching to professional women in male-dominated professions in quest to fulfill their professional goals and discover the legacy they want to create. In addition, Hala works with health organizations to improve their recruitment and engagement practices to include more women. Hala is a tenacious advocate for ending sexism and promoting gender and racial equality in the medical field. She believes that as a community leader, she has a responsibility to forge a path for other women and to elevate her fellow physician mothers. She's collaborated with leading Fortune 500 companies and international organizations to further her work advocating for women physicians, patients, and children. Dr. Hala Sabri attended the New York College of Osteopathic Medicine. What up, my alma mater? where she completed a dual degree program, DOMBA. She now lives in Washington State with her family, where she encourages and empowers her sisters in medicine to embrace joy, vulnerability, and abundance. She is passionate about creating her legacy to pass on to her children and community. Well, I know I'm excited, so let's welcome Dr. Hala Sabri of Physician Moms Group onto the show. Dr. Hala Sabri, welcome to the Talk To Me Doc podcast. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me here. I was like really excited when you reached out. I, I get like so nerdy and geeky when people ask me to be on their podcast. Um, <laughs> I have no idea why. It's like so exciting to me because I always spend all this time listening to other people. And so when I'm actually considered one of those people, I just like get all excited about it. So thanks for having me on today. Oh, of course. It, it's uh, it's funny. I, my wife and I were talking about like uh, different topics and different people we could have on the show. And uh, we're like, oh, we got to have uh, somebody to talk about mom issues. Um, and she said, well, why don't you reach out to the, the physician mom group person? And I'm like, nah, she's too big. <laughs> but- so funny. You know what? Everybody says that. They, they actually purposely do not ask me to do things because they assume I'm going to say no. Like, and I'm like, gosh, like, I think in some ways it's funny because you're like, you know, yeah, you want, you want to be big, you know, in this world that you're, you know, trying to make noise, but you're like, man, am I, am I, am I really giving off that vibe? Because I mean, it's not that I'm not busy. It's just that I love these opportunities to talk to other doctors who are doing amazing things or even really the ones that are listening and getting inspired, you know, because why am I doing all this stuff? I'm doing it really to create a legacy in medicine. So if I'm not in these opportunities to really spread the message that I'm really kind of missing the mark. So, you know, thanks for taking a chance on me. Oh, that's awesome. You know, it's funny with, in at least in the podcasting world in the doctor space, you know, everybody's so willing to help out and everything. I remember having, you know, I had Jim Dolly of white coat investor on here who was like my hero forever, you know, and yeah. uh, 
I just asked him and he said yes. And I was like starstruck. And then he comes on the show. He's like, nobody knows who I am outside of the medical community, you know? Uh, so funny. You know, ironically, I'm actually taping with him tomorrow. Okay. So this is so funny. This is like my podcast week. Perfect. I mean, of, of two podcasts, you and Jim. So That's thank awesome. you. <laughs> well, yeah. uh, let's uh, get started with if you could introduce yourself to the uh, listeners, uh, I already recorded uh, your bio, but in your own words, who you are and what you do, what you do for those of the people that don't know who you are. Yeah. Hi, everyone. I am Dr. Hollis Aubrey, and I am a, a board-certified emergency medicine physician. And I was probably, like most of you listening, I entered medicine kind of having this idea of a career path. Uh, for me, I thought I was going to be an administrator of a hospital. Um, I actually went to the same medical school as Andrew, and really? I, yep, and um, although you're a year ahead of me, I think, so really? you're, I think so you're too cool to hang out with me, apparently, wow. but, um, <laughs> but the reason why I loved our school is at that time, there weren't a lot of medical schools that had dual degrees for MBA. And uh, so I actually went to medical school really to get my business degree. Um, and so I did both and came out with this really dedicated path of getting to be an administrator for a hospital. I was really like straight and narrow, like just that's what I'm going to do. And um, I did all the right things. Like I was, you know, chief resident. I got into my first choice residency in emergency medicine. Um, I, you know, raised my hand to be on every committee possible because I really wanted to learn the operations of a hospital. And I graduated residency having a really good grasp on not only on emergency medicine, but also like the, the business aspect of a hospital. So when I entered and I was an attending, um, I got this amazing job and I started doing the same thing at the hospital, you know, kind of raising my hand to be in committees. Um, and one thing that I didn't account for in this like master plan to take over the world was having a family. I mean, I knew I wanted to be a mom. You know, I knew all these things. But when I got married, I got married when I was an intern. I um, didn't realize I was going to have problems getting pregnant. So I went through IVF for five years. And finally, as an attending, I was able to get pregnant and I had my daughter. Now, ironically, when um, my daughter was born, I took only five weeks off for maternity leave. And when I was on leave, um, a position opened up that I thought I, thought I was next in line for. Hmm. Um, and uh, my boss thought otherwise, and he gave it to somebody junior to me. And I was so upset about it. And I went and talked to him about it. And he was really receptive. And he's one of my favorite people now. But at that time, he had said, like, well, I didn't know you wanted this position. And I said, well, how did you not know that? Like, I've done all these things, like, check out my resume. And he was like, oh, well, you just had a baby. Mm. I figured that you just want to be a, a really good mom. And I was like, what the hell is that? That like definitely was not on my bingo card, you know, of that time. <laughs> and I was like, what? And I'm like, well, I mean, you're a leader and you have a child. I don't think you think you're a crappy dad. Like, where did this idea come from? But, you know, honestly, that was like my first real taste of overt sexism in medicine. And um, then my career was, uh, uh, sorry, 100%. sorry to interrupt you. Was, was yeah. the colleague that got the position a guy? He was. Okay. And he, he actually had just had a kid too. Hmm. So, you know, really, and I love, I love him and I love his wife and um, I'm still friends with them and there's no ill will. Like I actually recruited him to the site that I was at. So like, I mean, I think he's a great person, um, but that doesn't really, that doesn't really mean anything. It just means that, you know, for some reason he, even though he didn't really have the same resume as me he, and he did a great job at the role. Like, I mean, I think he was amazing, but I just think that it's funny that, you know, him being a new dad had no bearing on the decision-making, but me being a new mom made all the difference. And, you know, I'm just one story of thousands, you know? And so what happened after that was, um, I decided that maybe the universe was telling me to have more kids. I have no idea where I got that idea from, but <laughs> I was like, well, maybe I should just be a mom. 
you know? And, um, so I went back to the clinic where I got pregnant and I got pregnant again with twins and, um, I was really excited. And then when I was about eight months pregnant, I was like, this was not a good idea because I was about to have three children under 18 months. And for any of you that know that, um, how hard it is to have children, you'll appreciate, you know, (laughs) how difficult that probably is. And, um, and I just started freaking out, you know, and I think like most people probably listening, I felt already pressured. I felt like I was living paycheck to paycheck. I felt that I had no control over my career. Um, and I had no control of my household anymore. Like I felt so stuck. And I felt like at that point, the universe was telling me, they were giving me an ultimatum. Like you choose medicine or you choose your family. And I think anybody given that choice, male or female, like would choose their family. And I I honestly think that people will, (laughs) you know, I, I really think, I mean, look what happened with COVID, you know, everybody started retreating, you know, people moving next to their family, you know, idealizing the different structures that their family can work within it. You know, when your mortality or your livelihood are threatened, you start to retreat into like primitive mode. Like, how can you protect yourself and your family? And I think that that's kind of where I went. And, um, and so, you know, I thought, okay, like I need to quit my job. But like, then I was like, shoot, I have school loans. I have a mortgage. And of course I have a husband who makes great money, but you know, the reality right now is, you know, two income households are how people are surviving. So, um, I really couldn't quit. I couldn't afford to quit. And so, um, I was like, damn, what do I do? Like, who do I ask questions? And literally like Andrew at my hospital, there's only four female physicians at that time. Mm. So it's not like I had a huge network of women to be like, Hey, I'm feeling like I'm really poor and I have no resources. What do I do? And plus like, you know, as a doctor, when you start saying things like that, they're like, Holy crap. How are you taking care of patients? If you can't even take care of yourself, you know? At least that's how I thought people would think of me. So I, I suffered in silence and then I decided, you know what, you know, I went into kind of effort mode. I was like, well, what if I just started asking people how they do it? I mean, I can't be this extreme unicorn that I'm like, you know, the only person going through this. And so I just started a small group of 20 people and I literally started asking like, how do I hire a nanny? Like for three kids. And, you know, I didn't know how to do it. You know, I mean, my mom, she never, you know, she was a homemaker and she didn't really have these issues, you know? And, um, so all of a sudden, you know, all the women came out of the woodwork and it became very apparent that I was not the only one that thought like this. And in fact, many people had their one little, you know, kind of best friend that they would, they would share these things with. And then they, and then all these best friends started finding each other and it built this network that now is like over, you know, a hundred thousand people. So, um, that's kind of how it started. It started because I was in survival mode, you know? Um, and that was six years ago. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I can't pretend to understand, um, the struggles that, that you go through. Um, you know, the whole doctoring while female thing, uh, unfortunately is still very prevalent. Um, and the, you know, your story of course is just a tiny, tiny story out of the thousands of stories that there are that are out there but um so you built this community um and and that helped helped you i presume uh with with everything that was going on um and then and then what happened so i made this community and i would say that i had like relief of anxiety and probably a little bit of depression i had relief of those things for probably about i would say a, a year you know i think that when I founded this community and I realized how much support I was getting, like I would wake up and I would be so excited to talk to my new virtual friends. Um, and I just felt like so much purpose. And then something happened around a year and you know, that's the group was growing really fast. Um, around a, the year mark, we had probably about like 15 or 20,000 people in the group. And I started realizing that I stopped kind of having all the benefits of being a member of the group. 
because now I was the leader. I was always the leader of the group, but now it was even more so prominent that I'd have to kind of lead because when you get, you know, thousands of people in a space, you know, there has to be some order and um, somebody who's really administrating, you know, the group. And um, it's so funny because if you think about it, that's what I was signing up for, right? I signed <laughs> up to be, to get my MBA, to like lead a hospital, right? Um, that has, you know, what, you know, a couple hundred employees or something, right? Um, and then here I am in this situation and I'm like, it's kind of like, you know, the accidental leader phenomenon. You know, I didn't mean for this to happen. I mean, people think I've like, you know, orchestrated this like business plan, you know, from six years ago, but no, like the truth is like, I was just trying to survive, you know? And so all of a sudden I've taken away my own resource that I built and I became the person who was giving the resource. So I put myself back into that doctor role, you know, like, you know, you're always defining yourself as a, and like, you have to be available for your patients. You have to be available for community, you know, all these things. Right. And then I got burnt out from that because I, you know, the world was telling me that I couldn't do that and be a mom. So I build this mom group and I'm happy for a little bit. And then I realized that that mom group was asking me to be that same position mm. that I was in before that I was unhappy with. And, um, and then I, I think for about two years after that, I lived in this like really weird alternative state of like, what the heck do I do next? And um, I'm so unhappy. Um, who's there to support me? Um, I didn't really feel supported anymore. And I, a lot of other things happened in those two years. So um, I decided to have more kids. Uh, that's a whole nother podcast topic as to why I did that. But I had another set of twins. Um, and while I was pregnant with that set of twins, my mom actually was diagnosed with recurrence of her breast cancer and she passed away when I was 19 weeks pregnant. Oh, man. So like if you... Like when, you know, the term, when it rains, it pours, you know, and, um, you know, I, I used to think that the lowest part of my life was that moment that I was trying to decide if I was quitting medicine, but I think I redefined that lowest point in my life at that moment, like losing my only living parent and being pregnant in a kind of a surprise pregnancy of twins and also already being unhappy with my career, unhappy with, um, you know, my, um, my leadership in this like large community. And it's so funny because every time I thought about walking away, you know, I was like, I'm going to close down the group. I think like, I mean, it's just voluntary anyways. Right. And I think about closing it down or walking away or whatever it may be, something would happen, Andrew. Like I remember there was one day I was doing an event with the National Women History Museum and it was on National Women Physicians Day, which is a day that I helped found. And I was pregnant. I was like 14 weeks pregnant with the set of twins during this whole like debacle of my mom being sick, you know, and I was there at this event and a member who used to work with AMWA was there and she said, PMG is, this is a, her own personal opinion, but PMG is one of the most um, beneficial movements of women in medicine since the since the establishment of AMWA. Wow. And I was like, holy crap. I'm about to shut down this group. Like people don't know. Like I'm about to walk away. You can't just tell me I'm as big as AMWA as far as impact. And then like and and it, I just knew I had to fix my mindset. Like I just knew that Maybe there's other people that had differing experiences than me. Like maybe they didn't build a community of a hundred thousand people, you know, but there's gotta be someone out there that understands leadership and they understand, you know, that leaders suffer, you know? And, um, so I delved into that. Actually, a girlfriend of mine, um, she kind of, I was able to be very honest with her and she, um, was a leader in an academic institution. So a little bit of a different experience, but she really understood where, where I was coming from. And so she kind of helped coach me out of that kind of mindset. And um, ever since then, I haven't looked back. Like now I laugh about these stories, but I share them because I know there's someone listening that's like, oh my gosh, Paula's describing me. Um, and I want to be that example of what can be and, and teach people how I got out of that. Even after 
making such a, like a huge business and a huge impact um, that really, if you don't really deal with your mindset up front, it doesn't matter what you do, what you create, you know, you have to start within yourself. Um, so that might be a little bit more of like, you know, kind of conceptual, but I'll tell you, you know, for people who are listening to me that resonate with that story, like this will be a changing point in your life if you can recognize that within yourself. Yeah. I mean, that, that is really powerful. You know, I, I think everything about that story and then uh, how you discovered, you know, some of your mindset issues and, and worked through that, um, you know, that that's definitely inspirational uh, for me as well. So I think, uh, thank you for sharing that. Um, oh, no problem. The, you know, I, I, I hear a lot from, uh, from residents and then from early attendings that are, that are deferring having a family um, because, you know, they're in training and, and they're running, you know, they're moving every few years and, and they're going to wait till they're settled and whatnot. Um, but they're scared because of some of the issues you mentioned of being passed over uh, for jobs or uh, how they're going to handle it. And, um, you know, what kind of advice can you give to, to young physicians that are very scared about starting a family, but really want to? You know, it's so funny because I, you know, I started my family when I was an attending. So I don't have that experience. So I kind of feel a little fraudulent, you know, giving advice to people when I don't have that experience. But I will say this, I tried to get pregnant my entire residency um, period of time. And it just didn't work out. You know, I had um, a lot of infertility issues. And mm, once I get into cough, <coughs> sorry. Um, so I, um, I do say this though, um, it doesn't matter when you decide to have a baby, there's always going to be something imperfect about that time. It could be your work schedule. It could be the money. It could be like, oh my gosh, like my husband's traveling or my partner's traveling or I'm pissed off at my partner, you know, or my mom's sick. It doesn't really matter exactly what is going on. There's going to be a reason why it's not perfect, but I will tell you that once you start having a baby, whether you're going through an adoption process or you're getting pregnant yourself, um, there's a period of time for you to prepare for that. So whether it's nine months or however many weeks for adoption or whatever, whatever it may be, you have time. And for some reason, your world will make room for this child. Now, as far as medicine goes, medicine is changing. So earlier this year, the first week of February, I was invited to be part of a task force for the ACGME to give feedback on restructuring their parental leave program or policies rather. And they've realized and they've gotten the feedback, not only from women, but from men as well, that the parental leave policies are just not adequate. I mean, these parental leave policies were made like in the seventies and now we're at 2020. So they needed to be updated. So now the ACGME has come down with parental leave policies that every single residency and school need to abide by. And it is pro-student, pro-resident, and there's actually like a reporting tool and factor. I think it's amazing. I think if I had that ability, um, even though I wasn't lucky enough to get pregnant during that time, I think I would have felt more comfortable. Now, my residency director, when I was in residency, he used to always say this thing. Um, a lot of people had babies in residency at my residency. And he used to say, like, have your babies now because it's less expensive than having your babies as an attending. And I used to always laugh about that. But it's true because as an attending, especially if, like, for example, I'm um, – I'm self-employed, so I'm a 1099 or a K-1, depending on who I work with, meaning I'm not employed by a hospital. I'm not an employee. So I have to pay into my own benefits to take out maternity leave money that I'm still going to be taxed on again. So financially speaking, if you look at the numbers, it makes more sense to have a baby when you are an employee of a residency program. Or if you have an employed benefit, you know, if you work for a large organization as a W-2, um, it makes sense that way because you do have some protection on your salary. 
but as a, for me, that wasn't the situation. So I say, listen, if you're thinking about having a baby, do it now. Because one, you have no idea if it's going to be hard or easy for you to get pregnant. And two, there's never going to be a perfect time for you to have a baby. So just do it. That's my, <laughs> that's my, my take. Well, that's, that's a good one. And, and one I've heard before, yeah, there's, there's no perfect time is what they say. Um, and it'll be what it'll be. Uh, you know, certainly there are legal protections in regards to your job. Um, but like, you know, like in your story, uh, I wonder how many are passed up on promotions or other possible positions, A, because, you know, they think they want to be home with their kids or B, just, you know, overt or, or sub overt sexism. Um, and I don't really know what to do about that besides a culture change. And I think there's been certainly more talk about it over the last few years, but I don't know what you've seen. You're much more entrenched in that world. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I've thought about the same thing. I think part of my burnout that I described earlier is my realization that there are so many problems, Hmm. like there's so many problems in the world and literally, literally like on my group, this will often happen. You know, we'll talk about, you know, starving children in the United States. Like there'll be like a news report about something and someone will tag me like, Paula, what are we going to do about this? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I kind of think that's president Trump's job or president <laughs> Obama's job or like, you know I mean? Like, I don't know. Like, why are you tagging me? Um, but you know, at the same time, I'm so flattered that someone thinks that I can have the power to make some impact and change that they would put my name there. So I think I didn't understand at that time, like how not to wear the weight of the world on my shoulders and to take it so personally that I couldn't personally fix every problem. But I'll tell you that we can push the system to change parental leave policies we can call out sexism in medicine. We could do all these things as men and as women. But one of the things that I have found a little bit more long lasting is really helping groom the women in these fields of being in male dominated fields where they're, the women are underrepresented and helping them with leadership skills, really the leadership, the skills that they already embody, but like me, let their mindset get into the way. And if we groom these women coming up in the fields, whether it's medicine, um, politicians, law, dentistry, like the numbers of those four fields are all similar. The numbers state that the number of people in those positions, as far as male to female, those ratios are, are approaching 50-50. And it's the way that the systems have worked to try to increase the numbers of these marginalized populations, right? So medical schools are trying to, you know, increase the number of women graduates, right? And eventually as doctors retire, as lawyers retire, you know, in all these fields they retire, you're going to start getting this new wave of you know, of workers that are going to be more of a 50-50 population. But please do not mistake equality with equity. Just because we are going to be 50-50 in number does not mean that we are going to be treated equal. And I think that's where I started realizing, like, the question, the million-dollar question in my head was, how do I make more women equitable? And I think it starts with every single woman kind of learning how to be their own coach, coaching themselves through their, um, you know, through their path, their unique path. And really that road that they're paving, that just feels like gritty gravel. How do we like enforce that road? So it's a nice, well-paved road for the next woman who's walking behind her, not to trip and fall or have any pain. Like, how do we do that? And I think it's just really grooming the leaders of today. So I started coaching women leaders in male-dominated fields. That's what I started doing. Because if I want to make impact, like, if I help, I mean, I can go to these meetings, Andrew, and I can Mm -hmm. say, like, hey, I think this should happen, and then maybe that happens. Like, maybe there's changes in parental leave or whatever. But what if I trained an army 
of a thousand women to do that. Like that ripple effect is larger impact. And that's what makes change. So yeah. we're not going to see change immediately in our career, but I am hoping that when my daughters, I have four daughters and I have a son, and I'm hoping that when they're old enough to make the decision whether they go into medicine, that whatever they decide, it's not because, oh, it's going to be too hard being a woman or, you know, how am I going to have a child? Like all these things that people are asking right now. So that's what I'm doing. I'm just, I'm training an army. That's what I'm doing. I love it. That's amazing. I mean, it's, you know, just thinking about some of the, you know, badass women in my, my life, my wife, you know, is, uh, she's a rheumatologist and she's a senior associate program director for medicine training program here in town. And she, you know, and she's done all that in a year and it was just cause she wanted to, but she has fought every part of the way, you know, all the way through her training. Um, and her sister's a lawyer and has gone through the same, but, uh, they're inspirational to me. Um, and especially knowing that I don't have to work quite as hard, uh, makes it almost all the more special, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm glad that, you know, and honestly, I think that's part of the movement is having men like you, I mean, not the, um, cliche he for she like, but you're living it, right. You're seeing it. And mm -hmm. I think men right now are invested many of them are married to women in high-powered fields or they have daughters themselves and they start realizing the effect that it will have on their personal sphere and for that reason you know you are thinking about having people on here talking about motherhood you are thinking about reaching out to me you are you know listening and hearing your wife like these are changes that are being made that like you know generations before you probably weren't doing you know, so I applaud you and everybody that you're influencing to be part of that change and part of that army. So thank you. Oh yeah. No, thank you. It's, you know, people, I, I never understood the, like, uh, I had a colleague back uh, when I was working in Chicago that was really upset because his wife was graduating fellowship and it was going to make a lot more money than him. And I was like, I, w I want my wife to make like $3 million a year and then I'll, I'll stop. I, well, why not? That's amazing. <laughs> so funny. I've, I know. I told my, I told my husband a couple, like actually last year, I was like, Hey, my new goal is to make a million dollars in a year. And he looked at me and he's like, I hope you do it. <laughs> he's like, I'm there for you. I, I'm there for you. What do you got to do? You know? And it's so funny though, because this mindset work that I've made, all of a sudden, like maybe about 10 months later, my husband was like, you know, hearing, hearing my messaging, hearing how I show up, the things I choose to say, my wording. And he was like, what if it's possible that I level up my, my life too? And then he's been, he's been killing it, you know? And, and I'm just so happy that we've been able to work as like a team that's not intimidated by one another. Um, just kind of what you've described, you know, and it's like that whole fear-based tactic. Like what's my worth? If you make your, if you make your worth mean what you make in the, in, in your bank account, like that is a very hard life to keep up with. Very hard life. But if you make it, you know, Hey, what's the impact and, and what's the value that I'm giving the world that is, that money is infinite, you know? And so I'm all about infinite money. Agreed. I mean, there's enough to go around. That's for sure. The, uh, oh, 100%. you know, I, I, I work with both male and female clients and it comes to, you know, I do career strategy mostly and how to get what you want out of your career. And, uh, and if that, and, you know, if that means leaving medicine, that's fine. If that means staying in medicine and having side jobs, that's fine too. But I found that you know, over it's, you know, and we don't have a huge sample size here, but I found over the clients that I've worked with that, uh, the that the women have been there's been a lot more um issues with uh charging what they're worth and negotiating in that case um and as far as like imposter syndrome and those types of things um i mean men have it just as you know men have it too uh but i i've found that that you know that's just been something i've noted um it, have you seen that too 
Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, even myself, like I talk a big talk, but there's times that I look back and I'm like, oh my God, I didn't negotiate enough or I didn't negotiate at all. Or I didn't know I could negotiate. Yeah. You know? That's a big one. And, and right now I think, uh, my thought that I have adopted is everything is negotiable. And so now I have to decide like, what am I going to negotiate for? Kind of like, you know, in the emergency department, you know, when I see a patient, I make this decision that they are going to be admitted in my head and I have to talk myself out of it. And when I do that, it's because not that I admit, you know, more than anybody else uh, for all those hospitalists that are listening or those future <laughs> hospitalists, <laughs> please remember, I'm not, I'm not doing that. But what I'm saying is it puts you in this, um, in this mindset of seriousness. Like if I approach a patient with a sore throat, right? And I say like, oh, it's just a sore throat. You're going to go home. I could be missing the retropharyngeal abscess. But if I approach the patient and I'm like, you have a retropharyngeal abscess until proven otherwise. And then I find out that they don't and they're safe and they can go home. Like that's a whole different mindset, right? Like it's coming up with the emergency first that they have a life-threatening disease and then they have to prove themselves out of it, right? And I have to, I have to work with them to do that. And I think I approach my whole life like that. Like I've already had that mindset in my head when it came to patient care, but I just had to relate it to how it works for everything else in my life. So now when I'm like, I do consulting and I do coaching and now when I'm tasked with something, I think of all of the resources I will need, how much time it's going to take me. And how much of my time is worth. They can give a suggestion of what they think. And I could choose if I think their suggestion is fair or not. And maybe they just don't know. Right? Maybe they just don't know. Like, for example, like, you know, a company that I'm working with right now, they've added a couple of tasks on to my role. And I just don't have the time to do what they're asking me to do. Do I want to do it? Of course. And the old me would figure it out. Like, I want to be a people pleaser. I want to make sure I'm the best consultant ever. I want to have the best product ever. I don't want them to, you know, hire another consultant. Like, all these thoughts, you know, of what I could be missing out on. But instead, I was like, hey, I want to do this for, for you. I'm working synergistically with your, you know, team to make a better product but you're going to have to give me more admin resources. And guess what happened, Andrew? All of a sudden I have my own personal admin. Weird. Yeah. And, and, you know, I didn't ask for more money for that, you know, because I, it was really within the scope of what I was already being hired to do, but you know what? I am actually making more money because I bought myself my time back and my time is more valuable than any dollar amount, you know? So, um, you know, so I think that, I think, having that mindset of, you know, what you're worth and moving forward. It's just that I think in medicine, we're taught, you know, um, the patients are worth more than us. And I think that, um, and that's true. We're, honestly, we're here to serve patients, right? But, but I think we extrapolate that into every other part of our world. So like, if somebody throws that shield up, like it's about patient care, it's about patient safety, all of a sudden your worth is taking a backseat. And then that's where we learn. We learn not to negotiate for ourselves. And, and you're right. Men do it too. But the difference between men and women is men, like they see other men in power. They have those examples of what can be to know what they can ask for, you know, or they go golfing or they go out for a beer. They have, they have their networking while women are like not doing those things. But now they are. Now they're starting, you know. Um, so we're we're starting to change like that dynamic. So you know, it's a good it's a good change for us. I think. I agree. I, it's awesome. I want all. I mean, I want all the women in medicine and throughout to you know up level everything and and be paid fairly and to ask for what they're worth. And when I go speak to residents, it's the same thing. Um, you know, I spoke to my wife's residency about negotiating. Uh, for what you're worth. And, you know, she chimed in with, yes, women, especially, uh, because you're always going to get a lower offer, unfortunately. So uh, I think that that's starting to change and people have great mentors like yourself to look up to, uh, which is certainly a difference uh, than what we've seen in the last 10 years. Yeah. 
no, for sure. And I'm glad that you're encouraging these, you know, young women to, to level it up. And, um, and it's not only about, you know, a lot of, a lot of people focus on leveling up to the men, like, like, for example, like, you know, well, you know, this man that works the same position for the same hours, same work gets $10,000 more. I feel like it puts us in this like defensive bind. Like I just need $10,000 more. No, it's not just about $10,000 more. What if both of you are being underpaid and you really both deserve $50,000 more? You know what I mean? Like think beyond that. Like, yes, you want not to be taken advantage of, but really like you want to advocate for yourself and what you're worth. And just know like hospitals and clinics, they cannot run without you. A hundred percent. They cannot run without you. So like this idea of the power structure is so insane. So, you know, just the other day I was on a discussion in another Facebook group that has nothing to do with mine. And I saw somebody like really angry that, you know, some other industry, there was somebody that was getting paid more per hour than they were as a doctor. And they were just like spending a lot of energy being upset about it. And I was like, yeah, but who made your, who made your fee? You allowed that to happen. Not, not putting the blame on you, but you have the ability to negotiate right now, but you're spending so much energy being mad at this other person that has nothing to do with your career. Like take it back. Okay. What's the thought that you have is a thought that you want to get paid more. Let's do it. Let's figure out how to get that done you know, and stop the drama in your head, you know, get over yourself first. And, and I say this with a lot of love because I had to get over myself first for me to move forward. So it's kind of more of me talking to who I was about two years ago, you know? Yeah, I agree. I mean, when people start that kind of stuff, I mean, even with my own clients, it's, it's like you all, if you're in that bad situation, you have two options. You can change your environment or you can change your mindset. Um, that's it. So uh, you know, and if it means going back to the drawing, drawing board and renegotiating contract, I mean, you see doctors in a contract for 10 years and never renegotiate. Um, it's, you know, it's, why <laughs> the, uh, mm-hmm. the, the only people that produce revenue in our entire medical society are physicians. There would be no revenue without us. So, um, this, I think this whole conversation has gotten off track, but yes, I agree. <laughs> I know now, now we're talking about aspects of you know, hospital economy, but no, I mean, I do think that I think we don't teach this in medical school, you know, and it's funny. I was just on a call with our medical school, um, Andrew, and I was mm-hmm. saying like, I really, really think that we should invest in students as much life skills and coaching as we do about teaching them about you know, everything else that we, you know, teach them about legal system. And I mean, everything that's not, you know, pathology, you know, based and things like that. Mm -hmm. I I think we spend no time teaching them. And I, and I kind of say that this is um, an analogy, you know, think about those, um, you know, those athletes that get recruited right out of, right out of college um, or out of high school when that was still legal. Mm -hmm. Um, And they all of a sudden gave them like a $10 million contract you know, and what happened to those people? Statistically over time, they would be claiming bankruptcy. They didn't know how to manage their money because they didn't have the capacity. You know, they went from this college student to the superstar, you know, and now these same institutions, I'm talking about the NBA, the NFL, um, they, once these kids, and I call them kids because they're so young, once they get recruited, they go into coaching. They get financial coaching, they get life coaching, they get all these things Mm. to teach them and to really improve their emotional intelligence. So that way they do have the capacity to be the next Magic Johnson who's investing all his money and is just like mobile, you know? Mm. So why are we not treating our medical students like they're superstars that they are? Because they all are. And they're being recruited right out of college, like the same thing. So, um, so that I'm really, really passionate about that. And so I'm really happy to hear when I see people like you and others that are really focusing on the medical students and the early graduates, because they need this, you know, and I, and I wish, I mean, I've been out of medical school for 13 years. I really wish I had this mindset 13 years ago. I can't even imagine 
where I would be now. Yeah, I, don't I agree. I agree. Well, we're running out of time, but I'm going to shift yeah. the show a little bit. Um, so uh, besides all of your million of activities, uh, what do you like to do for fun? Oh my gosh, it used to be traveling, but now <laughs> the world is closed. Right. Um, but you know, I just moved to Washington State. I used to live in California. And my husband, he works in aerospace, um, human space flight. And so he got recruited up here to work for a company. And um, so we're, we're, we're here now. And I will tell you, one of my new hobbies is um, hiking. And I live like, there's a, a trail right behind my house. There's trails everywhere here. And there's like, you know, just blackberry farms and all these things. Um, so we've been having a lot of fun, like walking and, you know, with the kids and uh, we live right around the corner from a lake as well. So it's really been, you know, just really nature. Um, definitely a different environment than work, you know, living by the beach, you know, but it's been really fun for the kids and for me. And so that's kind of been my new hobby. And, and honestly, I've been a little bit more introverted the last couple of months since COVID. Um, and I've been loving it. You know, so yeah, so that between that and I watch a lot of documentaries, Andrew, like I have a problem. I think I, <laughs> I, I watch a lot of documentaries, like I make popcorn and I watch documentaries. That's what I do. Like I'm, I become that old person that, um, you know, that likes to kind of just learn history. So that's, that's, hey, that's me. Cool. That's, I love it. That's great. So yeah, that's what I do for fun. Do you, um, do you have a book recommendation for the listeners? Oh my gosh. So many. Um, okay. So for people who want to do mindset work, um, I suggest you are a badass. That's the first book I ever read that got me into this mindset. Um, and, uh, so I recommend it for everybody. It's, I, I actually got it as a joke. I thought it was a comedy, but it's not, <laughs> it's a self-help book. Um, and I read it all on an airplane ride, uh, from traveling. Um, and I, and I kind of fixed my whole life after that. Like I took massive action. So I recommend that book. Uh, the book I just finished right now, I try to read a lot more now, um, is I started a book club with my husband because we would like make these date nights and then we would have nothing to talk about on date nights besides the kids. So like, it would feel so unproductive. Um, so now we started a book club and so we try to read a book every week, uh, well, this just all started last week. So this is like week two, <laughs> but, but we're like reading a book and going out to dinner and talking about it. And we just finished rich dad, poor dad. Oh yeah. So good. And I know, I know. So my husband and I have like all these thoughts. And, um, so I recommend that to anybody who wants to learn a little bit about money from a 10 year old's perspective. I think it's a really fantastic book. And so, um, yeah. So yeah. And then the next book I'm reading is first things first. So for people that are trying to catch up with me, that's kind of what I'm doing. Hmm. I don't have that one. Yeah. The, uh, you are badass is, was good. And her, um, the one about money she wrote too, is also good. You're yeah. a badass at making money. That was also good. Um, yeah. And, uh, rich dad, poor dad has been the start of many, many millionaires. So, uh, that's a great, great book. Um, You've given us a lot of advice on this uh, show thus far, but if you could just give your early career uh, colleagues just one single piece of advice, uh, what, what would that be? Um, don't make your whole life's purpose being a doctor. Love it. That's the best advice I can give. Do not define yourself by your career. You are more than that. Um, when we do that, we tend to put everything on that and that's how we burn out, um, amongst other things. Um, and I've also seen doctors at the tail end of their careers. They, I mean, they don't know, they don't have any other purpose. They're not reading books. They're not, they don't have hobbies and they become very depressed and, and they, and their lives are shortened. And so I really encourage you, like if you are a dancer, if you bake cookies, um, if you're a quilter, I don't know, whatever it is that you do that's so damn creative, do not put it aside. Keep doing it. That's great. Yeah, I, it's so true. I, I tell people that this is, this is my job. This is not my life. Um, mm -hmm. My life is everything else. And it's funny, I just put up a post yesterday about um, if your medical degree disappeared yesterday for whenever this releases, but... Um, if what if your medical degree disappeared, what would you do? And the, the answers have been so, so interesting. 
uh, to read just the spectrum of human experience of what people would do. And it's, don't, don't forget that. So I, I agree. Um, and uh, lastly, if uh, people want to get in touch with you or find you uh, besides a physician mom group, uh, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, so drhalasabri.com, H-A-L-A-S-A-B-R-Y. Um, if you put halasabri.com or drhalasabri.com, it'll take you to the same place. And I'm providing um, consulting and business, uh, basically coaching and consulting, um, life coaching. So I'm doing, you know, all of that just to help, you know, businesses that are targeting, um, you know, healthcare workers and um, the healthcare field to make them even better as an engagement specialist and then helping, you know, women in male dominated fields, like really just kill it, you know? So if you know anybody who would like my services, uh, you know, share the website with them and um, yeah. And I look forward to coming back when I've made my first couple of million dollars, Andrew, and we can talk yeah. about book club. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll see. I'm going to make mine too. And then we'll chat. Oh my gosh. We need to start a club. You and <laughs> the I million dollar doctor club. I love it. Yeah. I think it'll be fun. Uh, it would be fun. Well, thank you, yeah. Hollis, so much for coming on the show and sharing your message. I'm sure this will positively impact many people. So thank you again, and uh, we'll be in touch. Sounds good. Thanks, Andrew. Well, that was a really fun conversation with Dr. Hollis Sabri. Got a little off track there, but everything we talked about was so important. I really appreciate everything Hollis does to support physicians as a whole, but especially women physicians and physician mothers. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, I would love hearing from you. Send me an email at andrew at talktomedocpod.com. That's andrew at talk, the number two, me, D-O-C-P-O-D.com. Additionally, if you could leave me an honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts, that really does help disseminate the show. If you are a physician early to mid-career who is feeling dissatisfied or burnt out and would like some help with career strategy, whether that is transition to a non-clinical career development or monetization of a side gig or business, or just changing things up a bit, please reach out to me for a free strategy call to see how I can help you supercharge your results. That's all I have for today. I really hope you enjoyed the show as much as I did. So remember now, until next time, keep talking.